Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege it is to be able to call you Father and to know that you are a God who speaks to his children. Oh Lord, we thank you that you also listen to us as we speak to you. And so Lord, we come to you and speak to you now and ask for your blessing upon your word as we look at it together. Oh Lord, we pray that the things that I've prepared may indeed be helpful for the people who have gathered here. And Lord, we pray that we may be built up as we look at your word together. May we be edified and strengthened and become more mature in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Well, sometimes we need to look back at things that have happened in the past to strengthen us and to encourage us to continue into the future. And we like to go down memory lane sometimes uh, for this reason. At our home, we actually go through uh, videos that have been captured by Jill on her phone or on her camera of our children when they were younger. Some of them are a bit useless. Uh, The kids don't do much. They did something fun, and then Jill finally got the camera up, and she captured the moment after something funny happened, and so it's a bit boring. So we delete those ones. But some of them are quite precious to us, some of those moments that were captured on film. We captured Joshua's first steps. We captured the first time a balloon blew up in Philippa's face. Uh, She was playing with the balloon, and it popped first time. Uh, Quite interesting for us to view and uh, to enjoy. But we do that. We look at things that have happened in the past because they encourage us uh, about things that are to come. When we look at those videos together as a family, it encourages us to continue as a family together, to enjoy spending time with one another and to uh, encourage each other to love one another because we have such fond memories together. And that is what the passage that we've come to in Hebrews chapter 10 is speaking about this morning. It's speaking to the original readers of this letter to the Hebrews and saying in verse 32 to remember some things and then it goes on to verse 35 to look to the future. Look to the past with a view to looking to the future. And so that's what we're going to look at initially is what have the readers done in the past? What have their lives looked like? And then in light of that, what should they be doing in the future? And then apply that to us as well. And so as we look at verse 32, I encourage you to have your Bibles open there to page 1191, if you've got a black church Bible. But if you've brought your own Bible this morning, open it up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And the first thing we need to understand from these verses is, what have the readers done? What have they done in the past? What, as they go through their memories, do they see their lives have looked like? And so the author who knows these readers, reminds them of what has happened in their lives. And the first thing we see that has characterised these original readers is that they have received the light of God. They've received a light from God. Verse 32 says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. These people are people who have been enlightened by God. They know the truth of the gospel. God has spoken to them by different preachers who have come through, including the author of Hebrews. He knows them quite well. We assume that he has taught them the gospel in the past. They know that Jesus is the Christ. They know that Jesus is the great high priest. And they've been reminded of that again and again in this letter, that his sacrifice is sufficient for sins. So what do these readers look like? They look like people who have been enlightened. They have the light of the truth about God. 
That's the first thing we see. What else do you see about these readers? Well, they see, we see in verse 32 that they have stood their ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. What does life look like for these readers in the past? Well, they've actually been persecuted for being Christians. They have gone through a great contest, which is, you could translate those words as a hard struggle. They've gone through a hard struggle when they have stood their ground in the face of suffering. And they've even been persecuted publicly. We see in verse 33, it says, sometimes you are publicly exposed to insult and persecution. It's not as though people quietly have said to them, you're foolish for believing in Jesus Christ. No, people have insulted them publicly and have persecuted them, hurt them publicly. I know what it is to be insulted. People have done it in the past, and it's much nicer when it's on a one-to-one basis. It's much worse when you've got lots of people around to witness the persecution that is coming to you, the insults that are being thrown at you. And that is what is happening to these original readers. They are being persecuted and being persecuted even publicly. People are saying nasty things to them publicly as well as privately. That's what their life looks like. What else do we see that their life looks like? Well, we see that the readers have stood side by side with others who are persecuted, other Christians who are persecuted. Verse 33 says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you weren't being insulted, weren't being persecuted, but you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Sometimes people don't attack you, but they're attacking another Christian. And what do these Christians do? They stand side by side with their brothers and sisters as they are being persecuted. We understand that we do that in lots of contexts. When someone is hurt, we like to sympathise with them. We like to encourage them. We do this even when it's not for being, uh, being hurt in relation to being a Christian. When Philippa banged her knee on the bath this week, the whole house suffered with her. Um, it made a loud noise, and then she made a loud noise from then on for quite some time. We all had to sympathise and encourage her. We all suffered alongside with her. And that is what the Christian life looks like. It looks like people who stand side by side with other people who are suffering. What context does that sometimes play? Well, the text actually says... It says in verse 34, you sympathise with those in prison. Some Christians were actually being put in prison. And what would the other Christians do? Would they forget about them, leave them to rot in prison? No, they would sympathise with them. They would help them. They would encourage them, even while they are in prison. We've got to remember that prisons those in those days weren't like the prisons of today. That if you were a prisoner in those jails, that you were expected to provide for all your needs. Food, clothing, everything was expected to be provided by you, which meant if you had no family connections, no one around to support you, you would die in prison usually because you had nothing to eat. So what would the Christians do when one of their brothers or sisters was locked up for being a Christian? They would go along. They would make sure that the person is supplied with food, has clothing, have the supplies, the necessary things that they need while they are there in prison. And that's what a Christian's life looked like in the first century and for these readers, is they were people who banded together and supported one another. What else did their life look like? 
Well, another type of persecution came along. In verse 34, it's spoken of. It says, You sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. What was happening in the first century and the centuries that came after to Christians? Laws were passed against them. And unbelievers could come and take things that belonged to Christians. They could confiscate their property. The, the, the uh, authorities could do so, but even your next-door neighbor could just like your car and pinch it. Not that they had cars back then, but they could plunder the Christians. And what did the Christians do as a result of that? They accepted it joyfully. Why would they accept it joyfully, it says there? Well, it tells us why. Because they knew that they themselves had better and lasting possessions. They knew that the possessions that they have in this world are of little significance in comparison to the possessions that they will have in glory. And so they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. That's what the Christian life looked like for these readers. What should their future look like? They've been down memory lane, which is a lot of sad thoughts about the persecutions that have happened to them. They receive the light, which is wonderful, but then the persecution has come along to them and to their brothers and sisters. What does the author want them to do now? Well, we read in verse 35 that he wants them to continue being bold and holding on to Jesus Christ. Verse 35 says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God you will receive what he has promised. You need to not throw away your confidence. You need to persevere. And why should you persevere? Because you'll be richly rewarded. It speaks again and again there of the reward that comes. It is a rich reward, it says there in verse 35. It is a reward that is promised, it says there in verse 36. And it will come very soon. Verse 37 says, for in just a very little while, there's an emphasis there on the time frame that it's very little while, he, Jesus, who is coming, will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back and he will reward those who belong to him. And so what does the author want the person to do, the readers to do? Remember what they've done in the past, but now continue to live by faith. Verse 38 says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. This quote comes from that reading that we just had from Habakkuk. That it says there that the righteous ones will live by faith. There are people who are characterized as a trusting people in God, and not people who shrink back. They're bold previously, withstanding persecution, and they should continue then to withstand persecution, continue to be bold, continue to live by faith and not shrink back because they don't want God to be displeased with them, as it says there in verse 38, that he is with those who shrink back. Verse 38 says, But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. He wants the readers to understand the consequences of them trusting in Christ, continuing boldly to be confident that they will be richly rewarded, but also to understand the other thing that will happen, the other consequence. If they shrink back, what will happen? God will not be pleased with them. And they could even go to destruction. Verse 39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, 
but of those who believe and are saved. So we see here the readers are described as people who have been enlightened, who have suffered, but are then encouraged, keep going, keep being bold, keep being confident, keep living by faith, because you will be richly rewarded. Don't shrink back, because people who shrink back are the people who are destroyed. Keep on going. Don't lose heart now, because you're suffering. Keep going. Now, that's the original readers here. What about for us today? Well, I think we can look at these texts and look at them and say, is this our past and is this our future? Just as we looked at the readers there and saw their past and then their future, we can then evaluate our own lives and see if we're living lives that could be described here in verses 32 to 34, and then is our future described there in verses 35 to 39? And so as we look at our past, we should be able to see, I think, some of the things that are described in verse 32 to 34 if we are Christians. If you claim to be a Christian, some of the things that are mentioned here should be described about you. What was the first thing that we saw? Well, we saw that these original readers had received the light. Verse 32 says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. If you claim to be a Christian, you should be a person who knows what it is to be enlightened about the things of God. You can't claim to be a Christian and know nothing about God, know nothing about Jesus Christ and say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian because my mother was a Christian, my grandmother was a Christian, my great-grandmother was a Christian. I don't know much about Jesus, but I'm a Christian. That's not someone who is described there. They're people who had received the light. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you think you're a Christian and you haven't received the light, then you need to get to work. You need to start reading the scriptures, hear God's voice, understand who Jesus is and put your trust in him today. Start being someone who lives by faith, who trusts that Jesus Christ died for them. Because if you're claiming that you're a Christian and you haven't received the light, you're not a Christian. You can't be a Christian You can't trust in someone that you don't know. You must know who Jesus is. You must know who God is if you are to then trust in him. Otherwise, your trust is an empty trust that doesn't lean on anything and you will not be saved. That's the first thing that we see. And most importantly, the the first thing that we should see in every Christian is are they enlightened? What else? do we see in this text about these readers that we can see in our own lives as Christians? Well, these were people who stood their ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Does that describe you? Have you suffered for being a Christian? Have you gone through a great struggle as you have become a believer in Jesus Christ and then spoken about Jesus to those around you? If you're not making a stand for Jesus Christ, then it's likely you're not going to suffer. But if you do make a stand for Jesus Christ, then you do suffer. And the Christian is promised that they will suffer. The Apostle Paul says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, not only to believe on him, it's been granted to you, but also to suffer for him. The Christian life is one of suffering, suffering for Christ. You might think it's unusual that the world would hate the church, but it's true. The world does hate the church 
Sometimes it's very open about its hatred towards us. Sometimes it's not so open. But it does hate the church. It hated our teacher, Jesus Christ. So, of course, it hates his disciples, his students, who are his people. They persecuted our master. Of course, they're going to hurt us. They crucified him. Of course, they're going to kill some of his people even today. It's a false gospel that teaches you that if you become a Christian, everything will go well for you for the rest of your life which is taught from many pulpits around the world. Become a Christian. It'll be lovely. It'll be wonderful. You'll have your best life now here on earth. It's not true. It's a false gospel. The Bible promises that you will be persecuted. It's granted to you to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Are you someone who suffers for being a Christian? And if you don't, is it because you never let anyone know that you are a Christian? that you never tell anyone about Jesus Christ? If you don't stick your neck out from time to time, it's not surprising that no one ever hurts it, that you never get bopped on the head. It should characterise every one of us as a Christian. We should all be telling people about Christ from time to time. may not necessarily do it all day, every day. You do have jobs. But from time to time, you should be telling people about Jesus Christ, and from time to time, you will suffer for it. It happened in the early church. It still happens today for those who are believers. What else do we see described about these Christians in the early church? Well, we see that they also stood side by side with those who are persecuted. Have you ever stood side by side with those who are persecuted? Stood side by side by other believers as they go through great trials? If you haven't, is it because you don't know any Christians? You don't have any other Christians in your life that you stand with. You just don't know any. How do you stand with other Christians? Well, the God-given way by which you can stand with other believers in Jesus Christ is by joining a local church. God has given us local churches, like this one here, by which you can join and be with other believers and make a stand for the truth. That is what happens when you gather together with other believers Sunday by Sunday. You're actually making a stand in communities that insult and persecute Christians. You stand together. As you stand, as you meet together to hear God's word preached, you're actually taking a stand. The fact that you're sitting here this morning listening to God's word is one way of standing. Sometimes standing involves sitting. But you're sitting here this morning and you're not walking out, which means that you're affirming to anyone here this morning who might be an unbeliever that this is true, that Christ is a great saviour and we are great sinners, but he washes us in his blood. Every time you come to church, you're actually taking a stand. You're making sure that Jesus Christ is proclaimed here in Des Moines, maybe not all throughout Des Moines as we'd like, maybe we should get bigger speakers on on the church building, blast you and it goes out a little bit further to the neighbours. But you're taking a stand by joining the church and sitting here to hear the word preached. And sometimes we're insulted for the message that we preach here. Sometimes people even come inside the building and insult us. Sometimes they communicate with us in different ways, by our Facebook page, by phone calls. I had a phone call this, this week, person rang up, says, who's this? I said, Joel Radford, pastor of Des Moines Baptist Church. They said something 
um, antagonistic towards me. I said, who's this? They said, Satan, and hung up. Now, you here at Des Moines Baptist are part of that. I bore the brunt of it. But the fact that there's a phone line by which they can call is because of your contributions to this church, that I am here, available to take that phone call, available to be pleasant to the person on the phone, and then available to pray afterwards for the person. That person doesn't know what they're getting when they ring me up because then, of course, they're in my mind, and then I bring them before God's mind. It's a serious thing to say that you're Satan. They just don't understand the ramifications of their actions. But that happens from time to time. And if you're a part of a church, you're making sure that you're standing with others in the church who take that kind of heat for the message that we preach. How else do you stand with members in a church? Well, it's by providing individual support to one another, the support and counsel, not just by coming on Sunday mornings, but actually getting to know one another, getting to know each other's names and finding out a bit about each other and getting advice and counsel from one another as you take a stand, that you tell someone that it's been a tough week, my sister said some pretty insulting things to me because I'm a Christian. And you can tell your brother and sister so that they can encourage you and stand with you. They can't meet with your sister, of course, and, and be there when they say the insulting things, but they can be with you in the aftermath and encourage you and support you and stand with you in one sense in doing that as you continue to make the gospel known to your family who may be quite hostile or to your friends or to acquaintances at work. How else can we stand together? Well, we stand together by praying for one another, by praying for one another. As I said before, sometimes standing with others means sitting, as you're doing right now, but sometimes standing with others means kneeling, coming before God in prayer for each other. So that person's not going out alone, but going with your prayers as they go out into this hostile world, as they make a stand for Jesus Christ. And also, of course, one of the ways that you can stand together with other brothers and sisters in Christ is by financially giving to churches like ours. Sometimes I think as Christians we can see our contribution to the church as kind of like paying your electricity bill or water bill. You kind of tick that box and you don't really think about it. It's kind of what you owe to the church. But you've got to remember that when you give money to the church, you're actually taking a stand. You're making sure that there's a voice here in Dremoyne or a voice of the church that you do support, that there's a voice going out around the world as a church like ours can support financially other ministries around this world. We see that in the way that we support different missionary organisations at our church. We support different missionary families. What does that mean? We're standing with them. We're standing with the Ures in Bolivia. We're standing with the Custodios in the Philippines when we contribute financially to them. As they are insulted for being believers in Jesus Christ, as they are persecuted in the Philippines, Bolivia, and, of course, the different organisations that we support. We support Family Voice here in Australia. What does Family Voice stand for? All those things that the world hates. And I'm thankful for organisations like Family Voice that get more insulting phone calls than I would ever get in a, month, a year. And what do we do at Dremoyne Baptist? We financially support them so that they know that they've got brothers and sisters standing with them. And it's the same with things like Choices of Life, a new missionary a new organisation that we're supporting this year. We supported it a little bit last year. This year we're putting it on the actual missionary budget. What does Choices of Life stand for? For the unborn. 
for people who have no one to stand for them. And choices for life, choices of life, they would get a lot of flack for their position on abortion. So what do we do? We support them with finances, with standing with them as they're insulted, for standing for the sanctity of life. And of course we support Barnabas Fund, which is a very dear organisation to many of us in this church. What does Barnabas Fund do? Supports brothers and sisters who are being persecuted clearly for being brothers and sisters of Christ. We have members of our family who are in prison, who are dying for believing in Christ. And they stand alone much of the time. But we, by Barnabas Fund, can support them, can uphold them, encourage them by the workers that we support financially that can be there to offer that political support, to offer the food and clothing that they're destitute with, that they do not have because they affirm Christ. We can stand with them, even here on the other side of the world. It may seem a bit clinical to send some money over and say, yeah, we're standing with people. But I can assure you that our brothers and sisters don't see it as clinical and distance. I'm sure they love the fact that churches like ours that are unnamed to them and they're unnamed to us, they love the fact that they have people like us standing with them because there are people committed to this local church that then has a priority to contribute to the work of Barnabas Fund. So if you're a church member at Dremoyne Baptist, can I just say thank you for committing yourself to Dremoyne Baptist Church, to encouraging the members here and encouraging Christians in Australia and throughout the world because that's what you're doing when you become a member of Dremoyne Baptist Church. You're making sure that you're standing with those who are so treated, as it says there in verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You're not being persecuted all the time, but there are brothers and sisters who are. And thank you for supporting them by being a part of Dremoyne Baptist Church. And thank you for giving me here at Dremoyne Baptist godly men like Ray and Danny who support me in my ministry as fellow elders here at Dremoyne Baptist. I'm so thankful for Ray and Danny and the support that they give me as I seek to make Christ known here. And it's because you guys have elected them to stand with me. Thank you for doing that. And if you're not a member of the church, I encourage you, consider joining ours or join another one so that you can be described in this verse as someone who stands side by side with those who are persecuted for the faith. What is the fourth thing that we see in this text describing Christians in the early church? Well, it says that they were people who sympathised with those in prison in verse 34 and joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. And that characterises Christians today as well. Our property can be confiscated because we are believers in Jesus Christ. Now, in Australia, we are very protected by the laws here, but we still lose things often for Christ lose a promotion, lose some of our money in some way, give up things for Christ, we take up our cross daily and follow him. And that means giving up much for him. But when we do that, we should do so joyfully. Have you lost much for Christ? And when you lost much, did you do so joyfully? As it says that they did here, that they were happy to lose things for the Lord. 
because they knew they had a greater reward in heaven. They had possessions that were lasting possessions. They were better, far better. Is that you? When you give up things for the Lord, is it because you know you have something even better waiting for you? So that should be your past. If you are a Christian, this should be something of your life. You should be an enlightened person. You should be someone who has been persecuted for the faith. You should be someone who stands with other Christians. And you should be someone who even loses worldly possessions for the faith. That's the past. Now, if you are a Christian, does this passage describe your future? Does it describe the mindset of what your future will be? We've looked to the past to help us focus on the future. And what should our future look like? Well, you should be someone that is determined to not throw away your confidence, as it says there in verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You should be someone who is determined not to shrink back, someone who will persevere, as it says there in verse 36, to do the will of God and to live by faith, as it says in verse 38 and also in verse 39. How many Christians do you know that start off bold, start off really confident, and then as it gets harder, they shrink back? They're no longer as bold and as confident as they once were. The life that was in them has ebbed away. That is not how a Christian should be. A Christian should get bolder and more confident as the years roll on as they see more and more of Christ in the scriptures and are more and more confident that he is the saviour and as they've seen his hand in their lives and the grace of God applied to them, they should become more and more fearless for the Lord rather than fearful of people. If you are a Christian and you're thinking of shrinking back, you've found that you're hesitating of late, that you're no longer as confident, as bold as you once were, what should you do? Well, remind yourself of the wonderful treasures that we have in Christ. What does he say there in verse 35? So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Consider what he has promised. Consider your rich reward. Consider that Jesus Christ will be coming back soon, in a very little while, and he will reward his people. He will bring salvation for you rather than destruction because you live by faith. This should be the focus when we're thinking of shrinking back. Think about Christ's return and the reward reward that he will bring with him. Because let's face it, I think in Australia we're going to face increasing persecution for believing in Jesus Christ. The Christian church has been greatly blessed in Australia that many people would affirm Christ and would protect the things of this nation that are Christian values. But we're seeing increasingly laws being passed and the attitudes of people in our society are becoming hostile to Christians more and more. And so there's more pressure to shrink back. But that is not the future for a true Christian. A true Christian does not shrink back. What does a true Christian do? Verse 39 tells you, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So if you're thinking of shrinking back, tell someone at our church so that they can stand with you. Don't stand alone. 
That's why we meet together, is to get to know one another, to hear from God's word, and so that we can stand together. Let someone know so they can stand with you at least in prayer so that you don't shrink back and continue to remind yourself of the reward that is to come, the salvation that awaits you, that in a very little while Jesus will return. Maybe take some time this afternoon, all of us. That's for those who, people who are considering shrinking back. Take some time this afternoon to consider verse 32 to 34. Think, does that describe my past? And then take some time to think from verse 35 to verse 39, does that describe my future? Because we all need to hear these words of verse 35 and following that we should not throw away our confidence. We were strong in the past. We look at the past so that we will be strong in the future. This is how we behaved in the past. We were bold, we were confident. Now let us be bold and confident well into the future till Jesus returns. It's a good exercise for all of us to do this afternoon on the Lord's Day as we have some time. Let's Let's put our confidence in Jesus by coming to him again. Let's speak to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that reminds us of what has happened in our lives, what has happened in your people's lives through the ages, that there are people who have been granted to suffer for Christ but have not shrunk back. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone in this room who looks at a passage like this and does not see themselves in it, Lord, we pray that you would bring light into their lives, open their minds to the truth about Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for us who are in this room and are believers in Jesus Christ. May we not give away our confidence. May we not throw it away. But may we be people who live by faith, continuing to trust in Jesus Christ and looking to that eternal reward that we have in him. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.